You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. This is from Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select lambs for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the doorposts with the blood of the basin. None of you shall go outside the door of your house until morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike down the Egyptians. When he sees the blood and the lintel on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over that door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or to strike you down. You shall observe this right as a perpetual ordinance for you and your children. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this observance. And when your children ask you, what do you mean by this observance? You shall say, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. And the people bowed down in worship. The Israelites went and did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh in his, who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud cry in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron that night, and he said, Rise up, go away from my people, both you and the Israelites. Go worship Yahweh the Lord, as you've said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you said, and be gone. And bring a blessing on me, too. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, I pray God's great peace and blessing on you today. I pray that you are just feeling the strength of the Lord all around you. We're delighted to welcome you to First Christian of Albuquerque and want you to join with us in following Jesus here in this place. You know, I've been hearing a lot about birthday parties lately, things that people are doing to celebrate, particularly the themes that kids have for their birthday parties. In most cases, themes chosen by the children themselves, like purple space dinosaur. Yeah, put those three things together. Or how about a dentist theme for a kid's birthday party? A personal injury lawyer theme for a child's birthday party? No, I don't think that's Lawrence Junker, but you never know. You never know. Or an adult theme of the grumpy cat meme, adult party. You know, this is an interesting uh, thing. You know, we're, we're looking at this text that I just read to you, and This is an annual celebration. It's something that happens every year. It has a theme. You're supposed to bring unleavened bread and bring a Passover lamb. And it's an interesting uh, gathering of people that shows a tradition because we get formed by how we celebrate birthday parties. We're formed by the gatherings that we have. I mean, even, even if you look at the traditions that we have as a group of people, those things that we do over and over again shape us into a unique and particular kind of people. Our habits 
make us who we are. At First Christian, we gather here on a regular basis for worship, to sing, gather around the table, to gather around the Word, to see one another. In our groups, we sit down and we share when life is tough and we pray for one another. We celebrate one another's new jobs or victories in life. We go through life together as a group, gathered around Scripture, pointing ourselves and pointing our attention upon God, the giver of life. And with Passover, we get this celebration that you actually get to enter, a story that you get to enact and even eat. As they started with this celebration, they didn't even know what was going to happen. They were acting based upon faith. And those kind of rituals draw us out of our individual stories into a much larger story, where we're not just living an isolated single story, but we're living a community story. It's kind of different if we think about all the stories that we have in our lives right now. If we just hop on Netflix and watch a movie or a television show or Disney Plus or Hulu, we're, we're watching someone else's story. We're able to engage in it, but it's not our story. Once it's over, it's done. But with this, with this meal, with this gathering, we are entering into it. And I want to do something kind of different today. I don't want to talk about the elements of Passover. I don't want to talk about what's on the menu. I want us to put on 2021 glasses and come to this story, this story that's intended to be for children, and I'll let you be the judge on whether or not you think that this is really a child-friendly celebration, whether or not you would choose this one for a birthday party for your child. It might feel a little shocking as we teleport back thousands of years to the beginning of this one. But ideally, that's what should happen. If it's for children, it should be for all of our ears, even those that are new to the faith or unfamiliar with this whatsoever. So here's how it goes. This celebration is to mark the new year. Reset your calendar. Passover is the start. And you're to get a cute one-year-old lamb. Beautiful. No blemishes, perfect in every way. And once it gets dark, you know, right at twilight when the sun goes down, you're to slaughter it, along with all of your neighbors and all of your friends. You slaughter that lamb, and then you take the blood with a homemade brush, and you get your party decorations going. You paint around the doorpost of your house. I don't know how we hang balloons on our fences or on our mailboxes to get people to come to the party. Well, this blood is supposed to draw people uh, to know that you're celebrating Passover. Okay, well, you're not supposed to uh, have any leftovers, but instead you're to take this dead lamb and skewer it. Stick right through it. You're not going to butcher it, take different parts off. You're going to cook the whole thing all at once on a rotisserie, so to speak. Can you imagine the youngest of the young in horror as this perfect pet is now skewered and being roasted. All those perfect, spotless features of this lamb now begin to be blackened inside of the charring of the fires. Wow. And then, I know we're supposed to call people to wash their hands to get ready for a meal. You're going to have to take a little bit more time to get to this meal. You want to put on all of your clothes, all of your shoes. Get your rain jacket on. You're probably even going to need an umbrella. There's kind of a water thing that happens a little bit later. 
pack up all of your belongings, be ready to walk out the door to eat this thing standing, but don't go out the door because the destroyer is coming to kill anyone that doesn't have these party decorations out on the doorstep. Doesn't this sound like a great kid-friendly celebration? If you put yourself back in that moment, doesn't it just fit as the Lord in verse 12 executes judgment against Egypt? No pun intended. Well, maybe, maybe a pun is intended as judgment is executed. I mean, it doesn't sound like a kid thing at all. That sounds like a New Year's Eve horror party. I mean, what's going on with this? The question that the kids are supposed to act has significant meaning. What? What? Why is this meal different? What happened? Why are we celebrating things like this? Now, I don't know about you. You guys are pretty stoic today, but this doesn't sound like a kid story. I mean, I know a kid story. Have you, have you seen the Looney Tunes cartoon, the Thanksgiving one? It's an old one with the turkey that they're fattening up and it's getting bigger and bigger but it gets the picture that it's going to be the meal, that this isn't a good thing. And so it jumps on the treadmill and tries to shrink down its weight so that it's not the turkey chosen. Hey, you remember this one? Now that, that's a kid story. That fits. That's funny. But this one, this one is pretty rough. Whenever a death threat comes like this, we can see why in verse 27, the people of Israel bow down and worship, and do everything that the Lord says. So my question today, as I look at this text with outsider eyes, thinking of it as the very, as if I was there for the first time, is, is God the destroyer or is God the deliverer? I mean, all along we've been thinking about God being the deliverer, the one that's the rescuer, but which one really is he? The reaction to the mass death is what we would expect. It's horror. There's a loud cry. There is a collective trauma as everyone in every household has someone that's died. And we've been there. We've been dealing with COVID for umpteen months now. 220 million cases in the United States. And here we've had 270,000 people die we know about collective death. It's kind of reached the portion where one out of 500 United States citizens has died from COVID. So we know someone. We know someone that's been affected by this, if not very close to our own household. For 25 years, Don and I have been celebrating Passover with, with leaders, with Christians. We've made that a part of our family ritual and routine. But reading this last week made me think that this is not a cute story. This doesn't feel like a kid's story. And with my kids much older now, I kind of can connect with what it would really be like if it's not the cartoon version of the Passover. I could connect with the terror and the fear that everyone was feeling, wondering if this God really can be trusted, if he's a deliverer or if he's a destroyer. Here in this series, we've been looking a lot at fear. Trust being greater than or equal to our fear. And you've probably heard me say multiple times in this series the phrase, the fear of God, which is in every corner of Scripture. It shows up. It's the beginning of wisdom. 
As it shows up in Scripture, I don't know if you know this, but the fear is a name for God. Did you know this? It's kind of a strange name, not one we would expect. It doesn't show up often on the calligraphies of all the cute names of gods, but the fear of Isaac. In Genesis chapter 20 is where we see the fear the first time, where Abram looks around and sees that no one has the fear of God. Then in Genesis 31, Jacob references his father, and he talks about the fear of Isaac in Genesis 31. It happens in two places there, in verse 42, and then in verse 53, when he makes a vow by his father's God, the fear of Yahweh. Now, that doesn't sound like a a name for God that might draw us today as American Christians, right? Putting fear and God together doesn't seem to go together. Seems a little like a strange combination. It's not something that I heard in Sunday school. If you grew up going to church in sermons, you might not have heard it either. The fear of God. I mean, fear, we think of nightmare. We think of running away. We think of terror. Whenever we talk about God, At least in a lot of American conversations, it's more, we want that helium feeling. We want that lighter feeling, that shooting star or butterfly kind of feeling in our gut. Not terror, not fear. So I wonder where this comes from. Isaac, the fear of Isaac. Can we remember any stories about Isaac and the fear? Oh yeah, there was that camping trip story. When Abram, who... For a long, long time, a hundred years, was not, he and Sarah did not have a child. And God promised for 25 years to give him a child. He finally gets a child at age 100. Well, he heard God say, go and sacrifice that child. What? Are you kidding me? Child sacrifice? That's abhorrent to us today. Should have been abhorrent to them back then, and it was for many people But did Abraham hear that right? Offer your son, your promised son, as a sacrifice. So they go up the mountain with a stack of wood. And I think, if we think about what Isaac has gone through of being at the end of a knife in circumcision as a baby, perhaps he blocked that from his memory, to now being on a stack of wood on an altar with his father, raising a knife supposedly in honor of Yahweh, And God says, stop. No. Child sacrifice is not what this is about. I see your faithfulness. But even though this is a common religious practice elsewhere, this is not the way that people are to honor God. I am a God of life, not a God of death. It's abhorrent. Now, I don't know if Isaac ever trusted his dad to go on another camping trip. But maybe that's where this idea of the fear of Yahweh comes from. Where we must suspend our belief, suspend our disbelief, and trust in this God. Trust this God that that Abraham heard was going to have a child, that he was going to have a child. We have to trust what Abraham heard that he needed to sacrifice this child. We have to trust what Abraham heard when God threw on the brakes and said, do not kill your only child. We're still stuck with our question, aren't we? Is God the destroyer or is God the deliverer? I mean, who are we supposed to blame for all of this death? With Yahweh, 
choosing to save the Hebrew people by killing off the firstborn of the Egyptians. What are we to make of a God like that who deals in death? What about Pharaoh? Pharaoh was one who used fear, but it was a different kind of fear than the fear of Yahweh. It was different. He used fear to terrify his people to get them to follow him. He used fear by killing the Hebrew children. He used his own fear of thinking that they're too prolific against that group of people. And in this last plague, in this tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, the fear that, Ab- that Pharaoh used now is used against Pharaoh. The one who claimed not to know who God is, the one who saw this develop, the one who had God come to him and say, well, I am the God who always is. But all along, every step of the way, Pharaoh refuses. So who's to blame for this? I think Pharaoh is to blame for this death. This story could have been much different. He had every chance to change. He came to see and know Yahweh. He came to confess that Yahweh is God, to seek forgiveness from Yahweh God. Even, did you hear it in the text I read today? To ask God for a blessing, which he does a number of times. But still, at every turn, he rejects. It could have been different if even when he sent the people out, he had said, I will worship. When we choose not to worship God, we're dead. We are dead. We may be alive, we may be like the living dead, but the choice not to worship God means that we are dead. Is God the deliverer or is God the destroyer? The answer is yes. God's character is one that pursues life and pursues salvation and pursues deliverance, but he gives us that choice. As someone who pursues steadfast love and faithfulness to us, he still leaves it up to us. Whenever we disregard God, whenever we choose to go our own way and become our own God, we've chosen the way of death. We've chosen our own end. And when we talk about the fear of God, we're not talking about cowering and terror and afraid. We're talking about following God, obedience that trusts God, an awe, a respect of what God can do. When we choose death, we are choosing to ignore God. A lot of us will play with God. We'll maybe be like Pharaoh and say, yes, I I believe in you, but you know, sports. God, yeah, I I believe in you, but I, I really, I believe in my earning power right now. I've got to make this count. I've got to fill up that bank account. God, I know you're there, but you know, I just need to keep these people around me happy. I need to please them. They're the ones that have my life in their hands. I just want to have fun. I need to numb out a bit and and escape from the pressures of this life. What we get is the God that we serve. The choice is ours. The choice of choosing the God who will deliver or the God who will destroy. Because if we choose to pattern our lives after what we want, the way of death, we will get that. If we choose to seek life and trust, then we will find the God who is the giver of deliverance, the giver of life. 
No, we're not going to be immune to difficult things like slavery, like pandemics. We're not bulletproof to suffering in this world. But we are choosing to be a group of people who are living, living with God. What does that look like for us at first? For us, we have chosen to follow this God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac. We are people that worship this eternal God who follow Jesus and breathe deeply of the Holy Spirit. That means that our our personal habits, the ways that we conduct ourselves, form us and we pay attention to them. Just like Passover is a tradition that shapes us and forms us, we pay attention every day. You've probably seen the four dots either on our website or out in the lobby or maybe on the slides with the four words of be, do, say, and go. Those are a template for us as followers of Jesus of how we can do that. To be in the presence of Jesus, meaning that we're conscious when we go about our work, when we go about our days, when we focus, when we come into contact with other people, our focus is upon God and what God is doing. It's like God's presence is with us, and we're aware of it, and we choose that. We do. The second dot. We have chosen to copy and follow the ways that Jesus lived in this world, to try to improve this world. Not because it's somehow our project. No, we don't have ambitions that we're going to be able to do this by our own success, but to improve the world that's right in front of us with our work in the hospital, in the classroom, in the office space. We use the resources that we have to do the things that Jesus did. We have people who also, we are people who say the things that Jesus said. We've internalized the words of Jesus. We've internalized the teachings of Jesus, even memorizing them, so that they come upon our lips and they shape our hearts. And we're willing to, for, go. To go to the places where there's need. In the, in the world around us, in our contemporary lives, we look for places where ignorance reigns, where poor choices reign, and we bring insight and wisdom. Again, this is God's project. It's not ours. It's something that we're a part of. We're simply called to be followers of Jesus. And that means we can eat in peace with our backpacks on, our rain jackets on, our umbrellas primed, maybe ready to spring out the door whenever God might call us to, even when death and darkness are all around us, we serve the God who is the deliverer. Even with the cries of pain in this world in our ears, we step out in faith when God prompts us to. These traditions that each one of us have, don't think you do not have them, just look at your calendar. These traditions form and shape us, either on the path of life or on the path of death. It's our choice. It's our choice whether or not we will serve the God who destroys or the God who gives life. It's quite natural. If we choose to live our lives disconnected from the God who gives life, God will give us the God that we serve. And our breath only lasts so long in this world. Our life only lasts but an instant. But when we connect to God, the giver of life, 
We're a part of an eternal project that keeps on going from now through all eternity. Well, we invite you. We invite you into this journey. If you've not been following Jesus, if you want to know more about following Jesus, I'm going to be in the back if you need someone to pray with to talk about that journey. Or even come and join us at First Steps because we're serious. Real people that are serious about following Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us life even through stories that seem so deadly, like, like this party, this celebration of Passover that points to your deliverance, that points even to the destructive ways of refusing to follow you. God, as the giver of life, would you help us to choose life? Would you help push us over the edge to, to not be sitting back waiting, but to really take that next step of faith? to live our lives with the giver of life. Thank you for Jesus, that, that his life given for us, his life that shows us what yours is, may we take that life on in us, full of your spirit, being and doing and saying and going where you would call us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen.